How do you lead after you fail? Every Christian is called to lead. In this message, learn from Pastor Chris Chadwick from the context of marriage, what it means to lead after failure. I'm in 1 Kings chapter 1 in your Bibles tonight. and uh, I'm going to talk about leading after failure. And I told you this morning we're going to approach it from the dynamic or the position of, of the family. And uh, so we'll get to that. But let me tell you this super cool, what I think to be this super cool uh, account of what goes on in the nation of Israel. Before I do, I want to remind everyone in here tonight that we are all leaders. Doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't really even matter to some degree how young you are, you either are or will be in some form of leadership. I, uh, to define leadership is, is really quite difficult because there's so many definitions. I prefer, I hold it with a very loose hand, the definition that says leadership is influence. Whatever the case may be, if you're going to be an effective leader, you have to come to grips with the reality that you're going to have to lead after you failed. You're going to try some things and they're going to mess up and you're not going to do well. And if you're not careful, you'll buy into the idea that you're a failure and you'll stop leading. I've seen this happen in both men and women. I've seen it happen with successful men and in areas in, the, in their job or in their career. And when they come home, they, they abdicate their leadership. They, they give up on leading because they have failed. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you that the best leaders are humble folks who know they don't have all the answers and are dependent on the wisdom and grace of God for the answers that they need. I would submit that to you. As we come to our account tonight, King David is a very old man, and in truth, he's in very poor health. To take that one step further, King David is literally on his deathbed. He's about to die in 1 Kings chapter 1. He's so old in 1 Kings chapter 1, and he's so near death that the men that are helping him and his advisors have brought in a young Shumanite woman to, there's kids in the room, so we'll be gracious here, but to minister to the king in an effort to get him warm because he's just in one of those places where he just can't get warm. Zane was telling me today about the youth winter retreat that they had this last week, and he was telling me that on Thursday night he showed up to winter retreat with a bed sheet to cover the bed and a single blanket. He is a rookie youth pastor who shows up to winter retreat with a blankie. And he said he went to bed and he was really cold. And so he put on some sweatpants and a hoodie and he was still really cold. So he put on his winter coat and he just couldn't sleep and he's still really cold. And then he remembered at about 4 a.m. that there was an extra sleeping bag in the bus. So he ran out to the bus, he got the sleeping bag, he came back in, he put the sleeping bag out and he went to sleep. He said he slept from four to six or something like that, and he was pretty tired. And so he's telling some of the teenage boys, he said, hey, I just want you to know that I, <laughs> I really struggled, man. It was so cold in there last night. And one of the teenagers said, of course it was cold. We left the window open all night. <sighs> when you're at 5,000 feet above sea level in January, you probably want to shut the door. Well, King David, and when you can't get warm, it's really hard to get comfortable. 
really hard to get comfortable. Now, if you're from Hawaii, you don't know what cold is unless you're from the big island uh, and you're from the mountain area on top of the big island. But King David, he was old and King David was cold and King David was struggling. And because his health was compromised, his leadership was compromised. It was so compromised that they thought he was going to die at any time. And in verse number five, Adonijah, the brother of the now deceased Absalom, the one many thought who would be the king, and he was the supposed heir to the throne, often called the royal prince, made himself king. Adonijah was a handsome man. The Bible says he was a goodly man, means he was a good-looking man, and he was charismatic. He looked the part of the king. He was supported by some of the powerful leaders of the nation. So imagine this. David's at, at home in the castle in Jerusalem in his, in his room trying to get warm. People are trying to help him. And while David is in his room at the castle in Jerusalem, Adonijah is, is setting things in order so that he can become the king of the nation. Adonijah had Joab, the army commander, the, we might say, the chairman of the joint chiefs, to give you a relative position that Joab would have had. Joab was a supporter. Uh, Adonijah also had Abathar, the, the priest who was a supporter. But there were some problems with this man, Adonijah, in 1 Kings chapter 1. And the main problem with Adonijah is that he was a spoiled child and his parents never told him no. Verse number 6. He was a spoiled child and his parents never told him no. We'll come to that in a second, but I want you to notice verse number six where the Bible says this, and his father had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man and his mother bare him after Absalom. After Absalom. And so David never told this, this boy, no, you want to spoil your kids? You want to ruin your children? Never tell them no. You want your kids to be a hellion that nobody wants to be around? Never tell them no. And if I can be honest, as a pastor, just as an application, I see some of you here and you're like, I don't want to tell them no. I don't want to wound their spirit. Let me tell you right now, I want to wound their spirit. They got a, they got a bad spirit that needs some correction. It needs some adjustment. It needs to be brought in line with things that are biblical and things that are godly. I don't want to change their personage, if you will. I don't want to ever violate a child, but a child left to himself, the Bible is really clear, bringeth his mother to shame. And there's so many, um, parents in in our world today who are so afraid of ever wounding their child, and I don't mean physically wounding, but their child just not liking them, that they never say anything. That's right where it seems like David was. He never told his kids no. Can I be honest with you? I used to just tell my kids no because I just wanted them to be used to hearing no. There was no real, real they, they could have done some stuff. Hey, dad, we want to do this. Yeah, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Why? Well, because I've been saying yes too often. Well, what do you mean? I, I, I know you could go to grandma's house. I just want you to stay with dad for a while. I, I just want you to stay with mom for a while. Well, but we never get to see, I know you never get to see him, but I want you to stay with me because you see, I have to pay the bill for you because I got the thrill for you. So now I'm going to chill with you. 
We keep this up, it'll be like an 80s rap. So I just want to keep you here. Can I tell some of you young parents, your whole goal in life is to get your kids away from you. So you have 42 aunties in your life that are all watching your kids. It's nobody's responsibility in this world to watch your kids or raise your kids but you. Now, I thank God for every person that helped me raise my kids. I thank God for Miriam that helped us raise Judith and Natalie. I thank God for Bernie, who was an absolute moron when it came to kids. <laughs> my kids, Bernie's like, I'll babysit your kids. Natalie's five, Judith is seven. I come home, they've painted his nails. They put lipstick all over him. He's got bows in his hair and he's wearing a skirt. I mean, it was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. But I did appreciate his attempt at that. That was the last time we let him watch our children, I might add. But your children are your responsibility. And David never told his son, Adonijah, no. And and by the way, I don't say that to be harsh to parents. I say that for you to understand your God-given responsibilities and roles. They're your children and they need to be told that. Now, I think if you're a jerk of a parent, you need to improve and stop and love and show grace and mercy and kindness, but your children will really appreciate the fact that there are clear boundaries in your home. Clear boundaries. There was a group as Adonijah in our text, as Adonijah is engaged in positioning himself as a leader, there's a group of godly men that are shocked by this and who are lovers of David. And according to verse number eight, they would not support Adonijah. The Bible says, but Zadok the priest and Benai the son of Joida and Nathan the prophet and Shimeel and Rhea and the mighty men which belonged to, Z- to David were not with Adonijah. And let me say, it wasn't that they were with anybody else yet. You're gonna say they were with Solomon. No, they were with no one else just yet. They were not with Adonijah. David was still alive. David had not made a decision. They were still with the leader. Let me be very candid with you and let me just make a church application and a work application. Be careful of people who start these little subgroups to raise and elevate themselves in leadership. Be careful of people who wanna be more influential in your kid's life than you are. (laughs) Debbie and I have a rule and the rule is this, when we talk to your kids, we wanna make you out like the greatest person ever which at times can be hard. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But we really do. Oh, what's your parents? Oh, that's great. You say, do you mean it? Yeah, I do mean it, number one. And and number two, I have a responsibility to do it even if I didn't believe it. But Zadok is a very godly priest and he's following David and he serves David. And Nathan was the prophet of the nation, the one who had confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. And there's these mighty men and Adonijah knows their feelings and Adonijah calls all these people together in verse number nine to, to follow him. And Adonijah calls all these folks together to, to uh, be a part of a, a sacrifice and establishing himself as king. And so he calls all the leaders of the nation together, but he does not call those godly folks who were with David to follow him. Now, they hadn't rejected Adonijah. 
They just were still followers and supporters of King David. So Adonijah sets himself up as king. It's, it's, it's like an Old Testament soap opera to some degree. And, and Adonijah's making these sacrifices, sacrifices he didn't have the authority to make. He doesn't have the authority to do what he's doing, but he's set himself up and, and the intrigue is escalating and, and it's growing bigger and bigger and the conspiracy begins to grow a little bit. And then Nathan the prophet, I, I can't wait to get to heaven to meet Nathan the prophet. What a, what a man he was. Nathan the prophet is like, okay, I'm not having any more of this. And he goes to Bathsheba and he says to Bathsheba, we've got to come up with a plan. And he confers with her and he counsels Bathsheba on the proper course of action that should be taken. And here's the plan. David says to, or Nathan says to Bathsheba, he says, hey, I want you to go to the king and I want you to uh, ask the king if Solomon is supposed to be the king or Adonijah. Because the king had promised Bathsheba that Solomon would be the king, but the king's still alive, so nobody should be the king just yet until the king sets him up. And so David says, I want you to go ask the king, and while you're talking to King David, I'll walk in the room, and I will be a witness. And so that's exactly what happens. Bathsheba goes into the room where David is, and they clear everyone out of the room, basically. I mean, there's still some people in the room, it seems like, and Bathsheba is talking to the king, and she says, in my mind's eye, it's something like this, King uh, David, is Solomon going to be the king like you promised, or is Adonijah, because Adonijah has set himself up on the throne? And David's like, huh. And she says, verse number 21, and if Adonijah becomes the king, you know that Solomon and I trying to remember the exact word that she uses here, that Solomon and I will be counted as offenders or treasonous and our lives will be taken from us is what the word offenders mean. So David, if, if, if Adonijah is the king, if that's your wishes, you get to do that. You just need to know that I'm going to be beheaded and so is Solomon. And when David gives the answer of who would sit on the throne, Nathan, verse number 22, Nathan the prophet walks in the room and they tell King David, Nathan the prophet's here and, and, and uh, Nathan bows before the king and, and Nathan said, King, is Adonijah gonna reign or not? Because you haven't told us, you've not made an official decree as to who's gonna reign and now there's all of these problems. Matter of fact, King Adonijah is sacrificing cattle and Adonijah is sacrificing sheep and Adonijah is making this big feast for himself and he's now saying that he's the king. But me and Zadok the priest and Benai the son of Jehida and thy servant Solomon, we've not been called, your mighty men have not been called. David, what are we gonna do? It's like Nathan, the preacher, is saying, you better make a decision, and you better make that decision real, real quick, because if you die, so do we. Well, David, after hearing this in verse number 24, 25, sets a plan in motion in verse number 28. 
King David answered and said, call me Bathsheba. She seems like she's left the room or walked away from the bed where he was. And she comes into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swear, verse 29, and said, as the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress. Praise his holy name. You see the gospel everywhere in the Bible. Even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall set upon my throne uh, in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed before his face of the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord the king live forever. Well, he wasn't gonna. His days were short. So David calls for Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benai the son of Joida, verse number 32. And they come and the king said, take you servants. And here's what happens. Go anoint Solomon to be the king and have Solomon ride on my mule and bring Solomon down to Gion and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there. And, and then I'm gonna have you bring uh, Solomon to Jerusalem in verse number 37. And I want him to sit on my throne. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, and Benai, verse number 38, the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon David's mule and brought him to Gion. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon and they blew the trumpet. And all the people said, God save the king. And boy, let me tell you, Adonijah receives the news and he is freaked out. He is wigged out. There was this plan to make him king. There was this plan to put him in charge. It was his own plan. He is raising himself up. It was self-aggrandizement. He's going to be the king. David comes in at the 11th hour and moves Adonijah out of the way and lifts up and elevates Solomon, the one God had for the place uh, and position of king. And Solomon begins to rule and reign in Jerusalem. I love the Old Testament. I love the stories and the account of the Old Testament. I want to take a few minutes tonight and I want to make this passage applicable to marriage and the home. Now let me stop and say this with clarity. The Old Testament is a book of primarily history poetry, narratives. There's songs and psalms and proverbs and proverbs, but it's just primarily, not only that, but primarily that. There's prophecy for sure and other things, but most of these are written in a narrative form. If we're not careful, we can make a narrative say whatever we want the narrative to say, and it can easily be abused to fit an agenda. But we do understand the Bible says in Romans 15, 4, that whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope. In other words, there are things that happen in the Old Testament that are supposed to teach us and train us and develop us into growing in the wisdom and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not ever to be ignored. Ever. And you say, well, do you, how do you see marriage in here? Well, there's David and there's Bathsheba. And they're married. 
And I want you to notice four truths tonight about this situation or this narrative about leading after failure. And I want you to notice point number one found in verse number six. As we've told this story, I want you to notice point number one. David's absence of leadership had devastating consequences. David's absence of leadership had devastating consequences. Now, leadership doesn't mean lordship. Lordship is supreme power or rule of one person over another. Matter of fact, the Bible says this about pastors, that, that we're not lords over God's heritage or having lordship, but we are examples to the flock. We, we don't have autocratic control over God's heritage. No, but we, we do have leadership. And men, I want you to understand tonight that David's absence of leadership had devastating consequences. We're called to be leaders. You're called to be the leader in your home. Not only are you called to be the leader, you're empowered to be the leader in your home. Now, there are different types and styles of leadership. There's the affiliative leader, a leader that creates emotional bonds and harmony. My wife would say, that's not me. There's the democratic leader, and he builds a consensus through participation. There's what some people call the pace-setting leader, and he expects excellence and self-direction. There's the coaching leader, which would be more my personality, who develops people for the future. This is most often, the coaching leader is most often the parental model. You're not concerned about your kids' feelings today. We don't raise kids to be three. We raise them to be 30. And we're worried about them being 30. That's why we teach them, don't pick your nose in public. Save that for grandma's house or wherever. Every man in this room needs to be developing his leadership ability. Every man in this room needs to be developing his leadership ability. Well, I'm not in a position right now of leadership, pastor. Why would I do that? You, you would do that because God has called you to lead and you need to be preparing to lead. And David's absence, David abdicate. And here's what I, in my mind, the scripture doesn't give us insight, but here's what I think happened. David began to say, well, I, eventually I'll make this decision. Eventually I'll let the people know. Eventually I'll make this public. One of these days I'll do that. Adonai just t talking in his ear, dad, come on, make me king. Dad, make me king. Dad, make me king. David knows Adonai just shouldn't be king. According to verse number six, David never told him to be quiet. David never told him no. David just kept letting him talk and talk and talk and talk. And David never confronted him a single time. He abdicated his leadership to even, it seems like as a child from the text and the way that Absalom, his brother was raised, to his mother. When there is a vacuum of power, someone is always gonna fill it. Men, as leaders in our home and in our church, we are called to lovingly and from a place of commitment be strong biblical leaders. If you give that up, if you take a break, if you make excuses, if you become Mr. Nice Guy, 
if you never want to make anyone upset, you never want to upset the apple cart, which at times we're all tempted to do, then someone who shouldn't be leading will lead. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Well, I don't want my wife to be upset with me, so I'll do whatever she wants. And listen, I try to make Debbie as happy as I know how to do. And I think that's a good thing, man, as, as, as far as you can. But let me make no mistake. Anyone who tells you, I live my life to make mama happy because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If that goes on in your home, that's from the pit of hell. Because that makes mama, that puts mama in the position of God in your family. And, and at the Chadwick house, we say this, we don't care who's happy. Because if God ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, but you know, pastor, no, no, men, you are called to lead your family in accordance with God's will for your family. Not mama's will. God's will. Like my wife today. My wife today, um, you know, I t- talked about her mother's health and Debbie has a, her, Debbie's half sister and niece are coming to California from South Dakota to see uh, Judy and Debbie's sister's not doing well physically and, and um, they arrive uh, tomorrow night or Tuesday morning, I can't remember exactly when, something like that, I think it's tomorrow night if the weather uh, permitting. And uh, Debbie's like, I'm gonna go up on Tuesday morning and I'll stay from Tuesday, Wednesday, and I'll come back on Thursday. Okay, great. Well, as the weather began to change, I said, no, I want you to go up on Monday because I don't want you caught in a storm on Monday, driving through LA in the rain. If you're not from California, you might as well just pull a coffin with you as you drive through LA in the rain. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a nightmare. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You just don't want to do that. And so I said, no, let's not do that. Once you leave on Monday. And then last night I'm in bed. And the last thing I do before sleeping, here's probably why I woke up. I was still in James Flynn. I woke up at 4 a.m. Here's probably why I woke up at 4 a.m. Because I watched the weather as the last thing right before going to bed. And LA is supposed to get two to three inches of rain on Monday. And so I have, to, I have to tell Debbie now that you can't be at church at Canyon Ridge on Sunday night. I want you to leave as soon as church is over and go to Bakersfield. Now, for some of you, you'd be like, oh, my wife wouldn't care about that at all. She'd probably be happy about that. Oh, no, not in the Chadwick house. That woman's like, no, I'm staying at Canyon Ridge. I'm like, no, no, no. And this is what I had to say. I'm not really asking your opinion on this. You're going. You say, why? Because I really felt that's what God had burned my heart for her to do for her well-being and the well-being of the family. Was she happy about it? Not really. You say, how'd you feel about it? Great. She took the dogs with her. (laughs) I'm sleeping all morning without hearing like, (laughs) like Zane at winter camp. I mean, I don't have to deal with any of that. No, seriously, I felt fine. Why? Because I felt like I did exactly what God wanted us to do. And when I stand before the Lord, I'll stand before the Lord in joy, knowing that, yeah, I feel like I did, Lord, as the protector provider of my family, role number one, that I really feel totally fine with this decision. Now, I've been married 28 years. It's the second time I've ever had to do that. 
But I'm going to do it when it needs to be done. Why? Because I'm called, listen, man, I'm called to be the leader of my family. Not the Lord of my family, but the leader of my family. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ also is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. I mean, over and over again, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, that I'm to dwell with them according to her according to knowledge. I have a responsibility to lead my wife. But David abdicated his leadership and there's devastating consequences. Sometimes, even when we're trying really hard, we mess up. We mess up. And we still have to lead after we mess up. David messed up, but he continued to lead. I want you to notice secondly tonight that Bathsheba was wise, verse number 11, in her approach. Therefore, Nathan spake unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, doth reign, and David our Lord knoweth it not? Bathsheba was wise in her approach. From the text, it seems as though she knows what's going on, that she knows what's happening. I, I would submit to you that just about everybody in Jerusalem knew what was happening except David. I don't know that to be the case. We know that Bathsheba knew and David didn't. And it would seem like most people in Jerusalem would know if there's a big party going on because Jerusalem, especially in that day, was not nearly as big as like we would think of San Diego. It was very, very close quarters. And it seems as though many or most people would know. But what we do know is Bathsheba knew and David didn't know. A lot is said in the Bible by what isn't said and the scripture doesn't say this is happening, but in my mind, I can imagine Bathsheba praying because if Adonijah becomes king, she and Solomon are dead. I think we can gather that this situation was difficult. When given opportunity to talk to King David, ladies, I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, she didn't run into David's room and start shouting her opinions. She didn't run into David's room and start shouting her opinions. I'm giving you some time to think about it because sometimes we can be way too vocal. And some of you in this room that are ladies, you have a personality can I be bold enough to say it this way? That is stronger than your husband's. And by the sheer force of your personality, you can push him over if you're not careful. To where he will acquiesce to your opinion just to get you to leave him alone and be quiet. Now, men, you say, well, what if my wife's like that? Don't ever acquiesce. Live by life's principle. Don't reward bad behavior. But that's not what Bathsheba does. She doesn't run it. She runs in respectfully and carefully. She, she's, she's not running in trying to, trying to force her opinion on David. She didn't huddle in a corner and get upset and withdrawn. And so,
I just got to go somewhere. I just got to go somewhere. I just got to go somewhere. That's it. Huh? She didn't do that. And by the way, it's a pretty big issue in Bathsheba's life. You say, how do you know it's a big issue? Because if Adonijah becomes the king, she's dead. It's a little bit more important than whether we have poke or tacos for dinner. Go with fish tacos, by the way. I, I, I just want you to, that her response was, was not that. She, she didn't do this either. She didn't say, this is, this is the Christian, how would a ambivalence. This is a conservative Christian woman's ambivalent worldview. He's the leader, whatever he says. He's just the leader. No, no, she had an opinion. By the way, submission is not silence. Men, submission is not silence. Come here, be my wife. You're very good at it. Ugliest girl I've ever dated. <laughs> yes. Both of us are praising Jesus for that. You're my wife, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to buy an airplane. Neither one of us like flying, but we're going to buy an airplane, and we'll have Dan and Tim fly us around. Like, can you take us back and forth to church? Just drop us off on the roof or something. I don't know what we'll do, but, but we're going to buy an airplane. And I come to you, and I'm like, hey, I found this Cessna 182. 182. I think it's the most popular airplane ever built or most prolific airplane ever built. A Cessna 182, and we, got a, we can get a great deal on it. It's going to be... Um, $327,000, which I think is pretty high for a Cessna 182, but I, ha I haven't valued them lately. Debbie and I were in the market for a Cessna 183, and so, which doesn't exist. And so, uh, at least I hope it doesn't. Um, and and uh, we're going to pay $327,000, and it's going to be awesome. Here's what some ladies do because they want to be so godly. You ready? Oh, okay. W whatever you say. You say, Pastor, what should be the right response? We are going to buy a Cessna 182, $327,000. What? <laughs> no, that should not be your response. <laughs> if I'm on a ride-along, we'll take you to jail for that. <laughs> no, here should, be, here should be your response. I could never disagree more than I disagree with you right now. Yeah, let me just tell you, your spontaneity is ridiculous. <laughs> because if truth be told, you don't know how to fly. And I don't even like the way you drive. <laughs> I think that's a really bad idea. I think we need to pray about it. For how long? 30 years, 30 years. So what are you saying, pastor? I'm saying submission, submission doesn't just say, yes, sir. And men, submission doesn't just say, you're gonna do it my way. Can I be super candid with you? I want my wife's opinion. I haven't always wanted my wife's opinion. Sometimes I don't like my wife's opinion, but God put her in my life and I need her opinion. 
Why? Because, because uh, every man in this room, I, I love every one of you, but every man in this room has blind spots in his life. And God has put our wife in our life to be a, a, uh, a help and an encouragement, just like Bathsheba, so that bad things don't happen to good people. Well, I just, I know whatever he says, that's what we'll do. Don't, God didn't call you to be a wallflower. Ladies, God called you to be a female warrior for the cause of Jesus Christ. And men, God called your wife to speak her mind, but God called you to be the final, if there's disagreement, decision maker. Debbie and I have been married 28 years. She and I did this the other day where we tried to figure out how many times we've made a decision where we didn't disagree with one another. And I think it's happened twice. And it was over the area of how much we should give to Faith Promise Missions. And one time we went with her number and one time we went with my number. Never, uh, n- no time other than that. Why? Well, partly because she was, she's wise in her approach. Ladies, God, has, look at me. God has called me and you to be wise. And, and in this situation, we're learning something about Bathsheba. She was wise in her approach. Some of you, that wasn't modeled in your life. Your mom was dismissive, or it was chaotic, or there was depression, or there was absence, and you're going, well, I just, I mean, I've never seen that model. No, you see it modeled throughout the word of God. And can I be super candid with you? You see it modeled in your pastor's wife, who is supposed to be a teacher and a trainer of the younger women at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. The Bible says, let the older women teach the younger. And it doesn't mean age older. It means spiritual maturity older. I would like to say that my sister could be in that, but that would be complimenting my sister. And I made a vow as a nine-year-old to never do that. And I don't want to break my vow. I'm teasing. Got some godly ladies around here that can teach you and help you and train you in those areas. Bathsheba was wise in her approach. I'm surprised by the number of Christians across America who get counsel from unsaved folks, who get counsel from ungodly folks, who get counsel from people on YouTube because they have a lot of followers. I'm not saying there's not good people on YouTube. I'm going to say most of them aren't good people and they don't give godly counsel, but I'm not saying there's not good people on YouTube. I'm just saying, why would you get counsel from unsaved, ungodly people? Psalm chapter one, verse number one, the Bible says, blessed is the man or happy is the man. I think we have that verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. By the way, parents that are sending your kids to secular university, you really want to think about counsel of the ungodly. Because what we know about universities in America today is that the vast majority of them are not teaching, they're indoctrinating. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like a chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Why would you go to ungodly folks for counsel? God's given you a pastor, a pastor's wife, an assistant pastor, an assistant pastor's wife, uh, or assistant pastors and assistant pastor's wives. God's given you folks to help you. Bathsheba was wise in her approach because she received counsel from a man of God who helped her make the right decision. That's why Hebrews, bring that up, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number seven, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Go to verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Some people say, and I'm just gonna be super biblical tonight. Some people say, well, why should I listen to the pastor? Because we watch for your soul. Ain't one dude on YouTube watching for your soul. Dude don't even know who you are. Send him a text tomorrow. Been following you for years. They'll write back, great, why don't you buy this? They don't watch for your soul, they're watching for your pocketbook. They're watching for your money. Please like and subscribe. I don't care if you subscribe to Canyon Rich, just join. It's a biblical model. They watch for your souls. Oh, by the way, when we watch for your souls, we must give an account. We have to give an account as spiritual leaders, not only for what you do, but for how we pastor you. We have a responsibility to help you walk with God. It's what I talked a little bit about this morning, James chapter three, that if you give somebody counsel, let's say Ruth Swire, she goes to Bible college. Everybody in Bible college knows everything about everything in the entire Bible, especially the loser theology students. And by the way, it's Pensacola, so I'm right, right? Bob Jones crowd, somebody say amen. <laughs> I like Pensacola better, better stuff and not in South Carolina, but... Whatever. And you go to Bible college and everybody in South Carolina, or everybody at Pensacola knows the answers to everything. I'm being facetious because I went to a Bible college that doesn't exist anymore. And so everybody has every answer to everything. Well, you know what? When you have an answer to everything, you have to be very, very, <laughs> you don't have an answer to everything, but if you assume that you do, you're going to give an account to God and a higher price is going to be paid when you are giving counsel, assuming spiritual authority, knowledge, or, or acumen, if you will. Brethren, be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all, if any offend not in word, the same as a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body. That's why when you give counsel, you better make sure it's biblical and godly and right. My new phrase that I really enjoy saying is, I'm not sure, I'll have our youth pastor get back to you. Or I'm really what I say is, you know what? Let me think and pray about that because I don't really have an answer for that. Because life problems aren't snippets that you can Google and go 10 ways to cure discouragement. 
Just want to say Bathsheba was super wise in her approach. She listened to Nathan the prophet and she took action with a bunch of counselors that were all on the same page, going the same direction. Ladies, might be wise for you to learn to diffuse situations, encourage your husbands, strengthen them, literally to put courage into someone. I was talking to one of our young members that doesn't live in San Diego anymore. They live in a very distant state and they were talking about their parents' godly family and they had to make a really big decision. And these were the words that they used. My mom put courage into me so I could make the right decision. Which is literally what the word encourage means. I want to put courage in these young men so they lead pure lives. I want to put courage in these young men so, so they feel comfortable not viewing social media and they don't feel like outcasts by that. I want to put courage in these not as young men so, so they live pure lives. I want to put courage into these young ladies so that they'll walk with God and marry a godly man and live a life of Christian joy and peace and contentment, which doesn't happen without courage. Bathsheba was wise in her approach. Number next, 23 to 37, verse point number three, David confronted the problem. David wasn't confronting the problem. He's confronted by Bathsheba, who's wise in her approach. And now after listening to Bathsheba, he confronts the problem. Men, he wasn't too proud to listen to his wife. He wasn't too proud to listen to his wife. No, he listened to his wife and he confronted the problem. Oh, Adonijah, I've been so wrong with him. You know what? Okay, I don't know what to do with Adonijah at this exact moment, but I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Nathan, you grab your team together and all of your guys and all the mighty men and you take uh, Solomon over to, to Gilbath, I think it is, and I want you to anoint him with oil and put him on my mule and walk him on the mule and bring him into Jerusalem and set him on my throne and blow the horn and let everybody say that Solomon is king. David confronted the problem. He didn't kick the problem. He didn't kick the can down the road. He's not a generational can kicker. I, I, I understand this happened in my family. This happens in many families. My granddad was a man that had anger problems. My dad was a man that had anger problems. My dad broke the cycle in so many ways. And then I have inherited that and I have to break that cycle. I can't kick the can down the road on my daughters. I've got to, I've got to work diligently to, to win uh, and, and to confront that problem. Some of you, it's discouragement. Some of you, it's depression. Some of you, it's just a mind that's all over the place and you don't want to confront the problem. No, you need to confront the problem and you need to confront the problem today. That's one of the reasons church is so important. You come to church, you hear, you experience conviction in your life. That's God speaking to you. And you're like, oh, God's speaking to me. So if God's speaking to me, I'm just going to do what God says. And I'm going to be in the habit of daily confronting problems. If God says it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to argue with him. I'm not going to debate him. 
If God burdens my heart or God's word is clear in saying it, I'm going to do it. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever it says, that's just what I'm going to do. Because God's ways are higher than my ways and God knows better than me. So whatever the word of God says, that's simply what I'm going to do. And then I want you to notice finally, just for the sake of time, I'm, I'm hurrying. David made a decision that pleased God. You know, you can confront a problem without making a decision that pleases God. You can confront a problem and do it all in the wrong way. How many of us have done that in life? Oh, good night. I know I have. You can confront a problem and it be wrong. But David made a decision that pleased God. Well, how did he know what to do? Well, there's a lot of godly leaders around him telling him what to do and advising him on what to do and leading him as to what to do. And the decision that he made pleased God. Men, husbands, Dads, are the decisions that you're making pleasing God? Well, you know, Pastor, I just don't think that giving my kids a cell phone is that big of a deal. Okay. Your decision. But understand... You just put about 13 billion pornographic websites at your kids' fingertips. Understand, you just put an entire world of ungodly music at your kids' ears. Well, here's what parents say. I watch everything that they do. Brother, you are deceived. That is nearly an impossible thing for one person to do. I was talking to somebody. Kids are smart. I don't know how they do it. You could block their phone. They'll come up with a new IP address to get in your wife. When I was a kid, IP meant something totally different. They come up with an IP address. They come up with it all on their own. They get onto the internet. You, you, you don't know. Oh, no, I know. No, no you don't. I've got friends high-level IT and have teenage kids, and they're like, I'm surprised these kids can get around me. And I'm like, I know, Elon, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're fantastic at these abilities, and you put it at their hands, and they have nothing but time, and they're like prisoners. They're just trying to figure workarounds. And by the way, even if you could follow, why would you want to put such level of temptation into their hands? David made a decision that pleased God, not his family. Adonijah wasn't real happy with David's decision. Bathsheba was, Solomon was, but David, David had part of the family that wasn't real, really thrilled with him. And David made a decision that pleased God. Let me stop and tell you right now. I'm just telling you in the Chadwick house, you live in the Chadwick house, you breathe the air in the Chadwick house, you walk through the door three days in a row at the Chadwick house, your butt's in church every service. And I'm probably not supposed to say that. Your rear's in church every service. You have a seat reserved for you here at Canyon Ridge. 
Well, I don't really want to go. Well, listen, sweetheart, I don't really care. You're breathing my air. You're eating my food. Well, but don't you think I should have independence? Oh, praise God, go have your independence and take your stuff with you when you go. And don't take that suitcase because that's mine. I told my kids one time, you better get your own stuff. So I'll take a trash bag. Better get your own because you're buying those. I told them, I'll sell them to you five bucks a piece. Those didn't cost you five bucks. You're right. They didn't cost me, but they'll cost you five bucks. You take one of mine. I got a friend whose son literally was like, I'm out of here. His dad threw him two trash bags and said, go. And the kid filled up his stuff and left. It was so funny. Walking down the street like with a hobo and he had a, you know. David made a decision that pleased God. Hey, I made a decision a long time ago that the most important person at 4962 Chateau Drive, which is my address, 4962 Chateau Drive, um, is Debbie Chadwick. She's more important than my kids are. Some of you men do well for your wife to understand that. Oh, I love my kids. I'll do anything for my kids. I love my kids. I won't do anything for them. You won't? No. Nah. I'll do just about anything for them. Well, what won't you do for them? I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I won't let them talk trash to mom. 24 and 26 years old. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you talking to? Well, I'm talking to my mom. Yeah, that's my wife. And if it was Bernie, I would knock him out. So you're real close. And I like Bernie more than you right now, so you better be careful. Have you ever said that to your kid? Oh, I have. Would you knock him out? I wouldn't knock him out. I would throw him out. Why? Because Debbie Chadwick's more important. I made that decision because she's more important in God's eyes than my kids are. I got to hurry and I got to be done. But I want to say this. I I made the decision that Debbie's more important than my dogs. I say that because some of you are like, I just love my dogs. I just do anything with my dogs. I just, they're just so special to me. It's like they lick you in the face. My dog does that too. I smack her. Don't lick me in the face. And I just, no, no, no. Most important person in, the, in that house is Debbie Chadwick. Oh, she's more important than my mom. She's way more important than her mom. (laughs) But she's more important than my mom. My mom is opinionated. If you know my mom, Charlie's just going to sit there quietly. He's a good son-in-law. I couldn't care less. I'm stuck in the family. My mom's opinion, and she used to come into the house, man. She used to come into the house and share her opinion until I took her on a walk and said, I don't really care about your opinion. Well, I just think things should be done this way. Then get married to a different person. Adopt a different son. But at this house, that's her decision. You'll be happy or you'll be sad, but we're not going to do what you want to do just because you want to do it. Now, we're going to try to honor you, and we're going to try to love you, and we're going to try to show grace to you. But you need to understand, this is what I said to my mom, exact quote. The most important person in this world to me is Debbie, not Arlene. And that happened December the 26th, 1990, I think four. I think four or six, I think four forget. It's been a while. David made a decision that pleased God. 
I made a decision a long time ago. We're going to be in church. I made a, long, a decision a long time ago that the most important person in the world was my wife. I made a decision a long time ago that we're going to give tithes and offerings to the Lord no matter what happens. I made a decision we're going to be involved in a local church no matter what happens. The day is coming, fastly approaching, I might add. We're all retired as the pastor of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. Can I tell you that my service doesn't end when my pastorate ends? If the Lord lets me live a natural life, I'll retire. Somebody else will be the pastor here. And whenever they're the pastor, if God allows us to stay here, which I pray that he does, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a servant. I'm going to be cleaning bathrooms. I'm going to be doing all kinds of stuff. So as we're doing remodels, I'm thinking about what do I want to clean when I retire? Because we're going to be involved. We're not, the, the twilight years of our life, God may let it lead us to go places and preach his word and minister to people, but the twilight years of our life are gonna be spent ministering the cause of Jesus Christ. We just made that decision to please God. I might finally go on a trail life hike for the first time in my ministry. It'll be the first time I go on a hike, by the way. No, I've been on hikes before. I'm just saying David made a decision to please God. I got so much to say and not the time to do it. I love you. I know some of your marriages need help, and I want to say it this way. No one message is going to cure every problem. It's a heavy burden that I carry. People, I've had people say, I listened to your preaching. It didn't fix my marriage. No, your marriage has been jacked up for years. One 45-minute message isn't going to cure it. Neither is an hour one. It's just not. It's a lifetime of pursuing Christ. It's a lifetime of falling down and getting back up. It's a lifetime of, of leading after failing and leading after failing and leading after failing and walking with Jesus over and over and over again. Father, bless our time. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time.